Habakkuk chapter 2, I, under, I know that it's, it's quarter till, and there's fried chicken downstairs, and we all want to go eat some, and so I'll be brief, uh, somewhat, but I want to continue to get this truth across this morning. Now, this morning as we continue through the book of Habakkuk, I want to do a little bit of review to kind of remind us what's happening. Now, I know some of you, mainly April, hate it when I do this. Because she's like, why do, you gotta get, why do you get a review every week? Why do you gotta, why do you gotta, there's a method to my madness. I know a lot of you have been here every week, so you've heard the story of Habakkuk. You know what's going on, but a lot's happened since last Sunday, and I kind of want to refresh your memory, kind of get you back on page of where we're at. And even those who, who haven't been here each week, I don't want you to be lost, so I kind of want to let you know what's going on in the book of Habakkuk. So in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, of course, is a prophet during the, the divided kingdom sage in Judah. And he has prayed for God to send revival to his country, to Judah, because they were living wickedly. And God answered his prayer, sent Josiah the king, who found the, the, the word of God in the, in the temple and reestablished the worship. And an incredible revival broke out throughout the nation. And Habakkuk is just thrilled. He's happy. God's answered his prayer. His country has turned back to God. And then Josiah dies, and one of his sons takes over and does away with everything his father did. And now the country is even worse than it was before. It's in a worse shape. It's worse idol worship. And Habakkuk is going to God, and he's saying, God, why are you doing this? Why would you allow your people to live this way? Why would you allow wickedness to take control? Why would you give us revival just to, to take it away? And he's, he's, he's kind of angry at God. He's kind of mad at God. He's confused about what's going on. And so he asks God, he goes, God, why are you not doing anything? And God tells him, I'm doing something. I'm going to send the Chaldeans, that wicked, deceitful, despised nation. They're going to come in. They're going to judge the entire nation of Judah. Now Habakkuk, he kind of starts to backpedal. Then he's like, well, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't do that, God. You can't judge the righteous with the unrighteous. You can't use a wicked nation to judge wickedness because then they're going to glory in their false gods and you won't get glory. God, you, you can't do that. And what he basically says is, God, what you're doing I don't like, so I'm going to tell you what I want done because I know better than you. Now, when, when we hear that, we're like, how could he say that? But the truth is, we do it all the time. We may not be so brazen to say, God, you're wrong, I'm right, step aside. But we live our life in such a way that tells God, God, I'm right, you're wrong, step aside. And so for the last several weeks, we've kind of been building up to a crescendo we're going to see today. The first thing we saw last, two weeks ago was we saw the limitations of man. We saw how limited we are. We're limited in our ability. We're limited in our successes. We're limited in time. We're limited in our vision. We are limited creatures, and we don't see everything that's going on. And then last week, we saw the unlimited nature of God. Every area of our life that we are limited in, God is unlimited in. God sees everything. See, we don't see what's going on at our home. We may think we know what's going on at home, but we don't really know what's going on at home because we can't see it because we're not there. We don't know what's going on in children's church right now. Now, we assume Donnie the donkey is flirting with Miss Kathy, but we don't really know that for sure. Because we're not down there. God sees everything. God knows everything. And everything God does is good. Even send the Chaldeans to judge a nation. Even send in pain and cancer 
and heartbreak to us. Everything God does is good. We don't understand that because, again, we're limited in our vision. God sees the whole plan. So we've, come, we've set up the struggle and we come to head in these two passages. And we're going to see today that when we, when we understand not just our limitations but how God is unlimited, it works out for our righteousness and it works out for our joy. See, God is unlimited in all things. In the dark moments of the Bible, and when you read the scriptures, there are some dark moments. I think of Job. I mean, how, I don't understand how he endured in one day losing all of his wealth, losing all of his family, his, all of his kids perished and losing his health. And then his wife telling him, why don't you just curse that God you love so much and die? His wife turned, now look, I, we give Miss Job a lot, of slack, a lot of flack, but she lost her kids too. So she's got a right to be a little bit angry. But in one day, he, and you look at it and say, God, how can that be good? But we see good in it because we're looking back on it and we find strength and encouragement there and we see how God's working it all out. And so we think, man, it's good now. But when Job, when Job got the news that, hey, all your kids are dead, I'm sure he didn't say, man, this is good. This is going to work out for good somehow. But in all the dark moments of the Bible, it always works out for God's good, for God's glory, and for our good. And last week we looked at Joseph. He's, his brothers sell him into slavery. He gets thrown into prison because a wicked woman lies on him. But it all works out for good. Not just for Joseph, who becomes number two in the most powerful nation in the world. He went from the pit to prison to the palace. Man, that worked out pretty good for him. But it also worked out good for his family, for the world, as he was able to save the world from this famine. It worked out as God was able to keep his promise to Abraham when he brought the, the Israelites there and was able to sustain them. And in the dark moments of the Bible, it always works out for good. So now we've seen that. I want to see the, the pinnacle of this section of the book of Habakkuk. So look in your Bibles in Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to read one verse of Scripture this morning. Then we'll look at other Bible. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse number 4, it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. In this verse right here, we see two types of people. We have the puffed up man. The conceited man, the one who is not righteous, his confidence is in himself. He is unaware of his limitations. He is his own answer to every problem he faces. He has no need for God. He has no need to humble himself before God because he is his own savior. Now we see these type of people in the world all the time. We see these type of people in, in society, in Hollywood, in the world all the time. But let's be real honest, we see a lot of these people in our church as well. We saw them in the New Testament. They were called the scribes and Pharisees. Men who, who knew so much and who, who had everything together and thought they were so great that they didn't need God. And so when the, when the Messiah shows up, the ones who should have recognized him, the ones who should have realized that he who was who he said he was, didn't believe him. They question him. They try to trip him up. They, try, they eventually have him arrested and murdered because they hated him. Why? Because they didn't need him. They had themselves. They had their own righteousness. That's the puffed up, conceited nature. 
where you use God's language. You come to church, you dress the part, you act the part, you sing the songs, you look like you got it all together, but you don't really need God. Why? Because you've got it all together. So why would you need him? When you see this puffed up, unrighteous person, I don't want you to think of people out there. I want you to think of people in the church. And I want us to look and say, am, am I one of these people who don't need God? I act right, I do, I, I, I say I do, I use the right language, but my life proves that I don't think I need him. There are plenty of us who, when it's all said and done, we are not righteous because we don't live by faith. We are so full of ourselves, we are so sure of ourselves, that we feel like we don't even need God and we live like it. You can fix your own problems so you don't need God. Then you see the second group of people. This is the righteous group. Look again at verse 4. He says, the, but the just shall live by faith. That word just there in the, in the Hebrew means righteous. This is the righteous people. These are the people who, who have the righteousness of God because they live by faith. Now that word righteous there, it carries a lot of weight in Christianity. Looking back at the Old Testament, we see that, that, that righteousness in our own, in our own strength is, is impossible. Even Isaiah says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And you look back at the Old Testament, you look back at the law and all the things, and the purpose of the law was not to make us righteous. The purpose of the law was to show us we could never be righteous because we were wicked, disgusting, sinful people who were unable to live righteous in our own strength. That's why they, they had the sacrificial system. That's why they went to the temple to offer sacrifices. They killed goats and bulls and lambs on the Day of Atonement because they knew they could never be righteous in their own strength. So they trusted the sacrificial system to enable them to have a form of righteousness. Now, we know now, looking back, that all of that was a shadow of what was going to come with Jesus. It was a precursor. It was showing us that these, these lambs and bulls and goats, they can never take away our righteousness. They can never give a, take away our sin and give us righteousness. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, would take away all of our sin and would give us the righteousness of God. Not because of anything we've done, because we can't do anything, but because of everything he's done for us. We are righteous only because of Jesus and not because of anything we have done on our own. The righteous, Bible, God says in Habakkuk, those who are justified before God, those who have a right standing before God, those who are seen as holy and blameless and spotless, God says the righteous have a way that they live, and they will live by faith. Now, faith is another word we hear a whole lot in Christian circles. We use it a lot, but it's something we really, if we're honest, we probably don't live by. If we're, just, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we know what faith is, but we don't really live by it. So this morning I want to unpack the subject of faith so we can see if we're one of the first group, if we're the puffed up, conceited, self-righteous group, or for the righteous who are truly living by faith. So the first question I want to ask is, number one, what is faith? We are all creatures of faith. Every, it is a part of human nature. How many of you this morning 
when you got, before you got in your car to come to church, how many of you checked your brakes to make sure they were still there? None of you. How many of you made sure the brake lines were fixed so you know they were in a work when you came here to stop? None of us. Why? You had faith your brakes would stop. How many of you, before you sat down, got under the pew and said, let me make sure it's going to hold my weight and the weight of everyone on the pew? None of you. Why? You had faith it would keep you up. We are creatures of faith. Even the atheists have faith. The staunchest atheists, those who, who don't believe in God, I think they actually have greater faith than us believers because for us believers, when we look at creation and they say, well, how did this all come to be? God just said it. God spoke it. It was. Well, how do you explain that? I can't. It's faith. That's what it is. And I said, well, how, did, how do you think it came to be? Oh, well, hundreds of billions of years ago, there just happened to be a bunch of chemicals together that just happened to blow up and happened to create the right kind of chemical reaction that over another billions and billions of years happened to gather together and cool down to form planets that over another billions and billions of years happened to be just far enough away from a star that happened to produce enough common chemicals that happened to produce life that happened to become monkeys that happened to become man. Just by chance. How do you believe that? By faith. They won't say it's by faith, but because if you can, you can trace them all the way back. Where did man come from? Monkeys, and you trace it all the way back. Where did it all come from? From millions and millions and millions and billions of years ago, there was gases all gathered together. Who made the gas? Well, no, just always been there. That's faith. It's faith in gas. I got faith in God. I think my faith is better. Isn't just something better? But every one of us, every human, has faith. Everyone on the planet, is a creature of faith. It's just what we put our faith in. Hebrews 11 gives us a pretty simple definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we, again, take the illustration of your brakes and your pew that you're sitting in, this is true. The, the, in this verse, substance, the word substance in the Greek, it literally means confidence. You had confidence your brakes were going to work. You had confidence that pew was going to hold you up. Probably none of you tested it before you sat down. You had confidence and hope. Hope that your brakes would work. Hope that the pew would hold you up. So faith is the confidence of things hoped for. But the verse continues. It is the evidence of things not seen. You didn't crawl under your seat. You didn't crawl under your car. You believed your brakes were going to work without checking them. We've all done it. Unless they give you trouble, then you want to check them every once in a while. Until you lose faith in them, you have faith in them. It is the hope that something's going to happen with no way of verifying it. That's what faith is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and a deep conviction of things that we cannot see. So that's what faith is. Number two, second question, where does faith come from? We all have it. Everyone on the planet has it, but where does it come from? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6, but without faith, without that confidence of things we hope for and the evidence, no evidence in that hope, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We as humans cannot please God without faith. We don't have the ability to do it. So for humanity, uh, faith is monumentally important for us to live in, to walk in, to rest in, and to exercise. But where does faith come from? Romans chapter 12 says this. So that's for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. My faith, your faith, the atheist's faith, 
Everyone's faith comes from God. It's not something we muster up. Why? We can't brag. Well, my faith is better than your faith because I'm a better Christian. No, he says, don't boast in it because any faith you got, God gave it to you. It's not in you because if, you, if, if it's in your ability, it's not faith. It's, it's self-righteousness. I can do it. I got faith. I can do it. No, you don't. You have belief you can do it because you think you're better than anybody else, including God. So everyone's faith comes from God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for by grace, that's another familiar word to us. It just means unmerited favor. By the unmerited favor of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. Through what faith? The faith that God gave you. And not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved. We are made righteous before God by grace alone and through the faith that is in that grace. We are only saved through the unmerited favor of God, and we are saved because of the faith we have in God's unmerited favor towards us. Even the faith to believe in the grace of God is given to us by God so none of us can boast. If you believe in God, if you love God, if you worship God, if you are pursuing God at all, it is all through faith that he gave you. It's nothing you came up with your own. It's nothing you mustered up or tricked. It is faith that God gave you. Even the faith that you, must, you have to believe in God's grace was given to you by God. Why? So you have nothing to boast in but him. So we can't say, well, I've got, God just, I, just, I just have incredible faith in myself. So I, that's, no, any faith we have is given by God so we can boast only in him. So we say, oh, man, you've got great faith. Well, it's only because of God. Because on my own, I'm pretty pathetic. It's all through God. Now, if you have weak faith, because let's be honest, there are times we have weak faith. And it can be discouraging. Oh, man, if faith comes from God, and I have weak faith. But that actually gives us hope. Because if all faith comes from God, and we need more of it, where do we get it from? We get it from God. We've seen the last couple weeks, we're not the answer to our problems, God is. That includes our faith problems. That brings to the last point, what is faith? Where does faith come from? Number three, how can we grow our faith? So confident, faith is a confidence in what we hope for and a deep conviction of things we can't see. And our faith comes from God. But the Bible says in Romans, God only gives us a measure of faith and it's up to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith. So how do we do that? And I know a lot of us were thinking, well, it's through trials and tribulations. We grow, the Bible tells us you grow your faith through trials. Yes, you, that, your faith grows through trials, but you didn't grow it. Because you didn't get, to, look, I know some of us are in self-inflicted trials. Some of us, we, we do dumb things. When I was, when I was building houses, uh, we, I was building log cabins, we would trim out the log cabins in pine wood, one by four pine wood, one by six pine wood. And it, oftentimes it was so soft, you could cut it with a razor blade. And if you were cutting like a, a light socket out, you would cut it with a razor blade. Well, one day I was at a, at a log cabin by myself, finishing up, and I was cutting this, this piece of trim with a razor blade. I had my hand right here and the razor blade here, and Slate, I got, I'll show you, I had 36 stitches put in there, cut it all the way to the bone. I honestly, because I was in the middle of the mountains by myself, I called April to say goodbye. Like, I'm dying. I have to give the ambulance directions to get here. It's like, you see that oak tree that's fell over? Turn left there. Go down to the red fence, turn right at the third knot hole. And it's like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to die. 
I put a tourniquet on, like, I'm, I'm toast, this is it, I'm, I'm out of here. Now, when they finally found me, and I, I was dizzy, I'd lost a lot of blood. Take me to the hospital, sew me up. I wasn't thinking, oh, God gave me this trial for faith. No, I did that. I was stupid. I learned from that. But that wasn't a great trial of affliction. That was me being dumb. And so that's, sometimes that happens. But when we go to the doctor, we, get, we have layoffs, we have all these troubles, those are trials sent to us. And yes, the goal is to grow our faith, but we don't send them to us to grow our faith. God does. So how do we grow our faith? Our, God only gives us a measure of faith. Now, this puts us in a place of desperation. It puts us in a place of dependence on God, which is exactly where we need to be. We can't muster up faith. We have to constantly ask God for more. When we're in those trials, when God tells us, I'm sending a wicked nation to devour Judah, it's sending a trial, but it's us to say, say, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I need you to grow my faith through this. We see this in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus, James, Peter, and John, they have just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. The other disciples, the other apostles, they've been arguing with the scribes and the Pharisees because there was a man who brought his son who was possessed by a demon, and they, the other apostles tried to cast it out, and they couldn't. So Jesus comes down to the mountain, and he, he comes into this, this kind of chaotic scene, and what's going on, he's kind of stopping, and goes, hey, what, what's happening here? What's going on here? In Mark chapter 9, verse 17, the father said this. He says, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Let's keep down to verse 22. And oft times they have cast him into the fire and into waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The father says, Jesus, my son's got a problem. Your apostles couldn't help. Can you do something? Can, can you help me? He's... He's, this demon, it's, it's, it's trying to kill him. It's throwing him in the fire. It's trying to drown him. We're luckily there to, to get him, but there's going to come a day where we're not around, and this, it's going to kill him. Can you help us? He, he's in a pretty desperate situation. No one else has been able to help, so he goes to Jesus and says, Can you do something? Look what Jesus says in, in continuing on. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father cried out and said it with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Jesus says, if you believe I can do it, it, it'll happen. And he says, I believe, but I need you to help me with my faith. And if we're honest, we've all been there. How many of us have been there? How many of us at times have said, you know what, there, there's a part of me that believes there's a part of me that knows that this is going to work together for my good. There's a part of me that knows that God loves me and God's for me. And even though it hurts and even though I don't like it and even though I don't understand it, God's going to work it out for good. I know that intellectually, but God, I don't believe it all the way. I need you to help me truly believe that this is for good. Will you really help me? Is this really for my good? And in those moments where our faith is a little weak, our prayer should be, God, I believe but strengthen my faith. Help me to believe that this is for my good. In those moments where we hurt, where we're broken, where we don't know what's happening, we ask God for more faith. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. 
They're facing the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to bow down and worship this false god. I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they say, hey, you can do whatever you want to do, king. We know God. We love God. He's going to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we still trust him. You know what they were saying? We believe. God, help our unbelief. We trust you. But Lord, we really need you to help grow our faith right here, God. We have to grow we have to ask God to grow our faith. We believe that God's able to save us. We trust him. We must obey him that he's going to come through. Look at Romans chapter 10. Turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verse 14. I want you to turn over there. Romans 10, 14. I want you, it's on the screen, but I want you to see in your Bible as well. Romans 10, 14. So when we have difficulties and trials, those, those are sent to grow our faith, but we grow our faith through those trials by asking God to give us faith to believe he's going to come through. But look at Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Paul <clears throat> says, How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent. And it's written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed the report. Here's what I want you to do. And if you have, if you have even mark in your Bibles, which is okay, mark this verse. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is a gift of grace from God, and that gift is dispensed to us through hearing and sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. So how do we grow our faith? Through the Word. Yeah, trials are used to help that, but we grow it through the preaching and teaching and reading and studying of the Word of God. We become believers by the Word of God. We grow in our faith through the Word of God. Every letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament was written to believers who already believed the gospel. And in every letter he wrote to believers who believed the gospel, he preached the gospel to them. Why? Because he needed them to understand the faith you have to, to accept Christ as your Savior is the same faith you need to grow in sanctification and grow in grace and grow in faith through your walk with God. We need to constantly be putting ourselves under the Word of God. As we hear the Word of God, our faith in Him, our faith in His promises grow, and we become more like Him. And that is the goal. If faith comes by hearing... And faith is a gift given to us as we hear to mature so our lives please God. How often are you putting yourself under the word of God? Once a week on Sunday morning is not enough. Once a week on Sunday morning will not help you in the day of trouble. Why? Because we're prone to drift. We're prone to wander. We forget about how good God is. We need to constantly be putting ourselves under the word of God. Our anchor is faith, the promise of God, and the faith in the truth that no matter what happens, it all works out for our good because God is good. That doesn't mean you can't hurt. Doesn't mean you can't weep. Doesn't mean you can't be in pain right now. But it means is when it's all said and done, we have faith that God is doing good no matter what we're facing. Because God is good. And God sees everything. 
and God knows everything. That's why being under the Word of God is so often is so important because you, as you practice your faith, it should become second nature. It's second nature for you to trust your brakes. Second nature for you to trust the pew. Until your brakes fail, the pew fails, right? As we grow in God, as we learn through His Word, as we study His Word, as we read His Word, as we learn the preaching of His Word, and our faith in Him grows, when the day of trouble comes, it becomes second nature. Say, I don't like this, God, but I trust you. Because you've, you've done it every other time. It's worked out for my good every other time. So I know it's going to work out for my good now. You exercise your faith when you put yourself under the teaching and under the word of God. When you know the promises of God, when you test the promises of God, and when you see him come through time and time and time again, your faith grows. So back to Habakkuk. God's looking at Habakkuk and saying, Habakkuk, I know you're confused. I know you don't like it. I know it's going to hurt you. But are you a righteous man who trusts me? Or are you like the unrighteous people you're complaining about who really only trust in yourself? So we have to ask ourselves a question. When pain comes, are we going to live by faith? Are we going to live righteously and trust that whatever God is doing, he's God and he's in control? Or are we going to be like the unrighteous who all we do is trust in ourselves? Are we puffed up? Are we conceited with no need for God because our faith in ourselves and our abilities? Or do we live by faith? Is your faith in the God who is there, the God who will always be there, and the God who will always be victorious? If your faith is in the God who sees all things, who knows all things, and who does all things good, we are righteously living by faith. Look, life hurts. Life doesn't make sense sometimes. Life has bitter times. But when those time comes, where's your confidence? Is it in you and your limited abilities or in God and his unlimited abilities? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.